Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi there. Well, it's welcome from uh, Peter, the Hull City fan. Uh, a lot has happened since I was last on the podcast. We're in a different division. Uh, it's been a huge blow to arrive in the championship, but we have at least achieved some stability. Uh, there was a lot of concern over the summer that key players would leave, and we did lose some favourites like Paul McShane, Robbie Brady and James Chester, just two or three there. But uh, overall, we kept a lot of the players who we wanted to keep. So we still have the nucleus of a pretty good squad. And I think the important thing is when you're relegated to just try and stabilise the club a little bit and not go into free fall. And most fans will be very happy about that. I have to mention off the pitch, we are still a whole city AFC. Uh, the name change fiasco of recent years is hiding in the shadows a little bit. Our owners, the Alams, said that if the name wasn't changed to Whole Tigers, then they would walk. Uh, well, the FA said no to them twice, and they still haven't walked. And the argument they're putting forward is that they want to give the club a good home before they sell it. But most fans think that uh, they have half an eye on next season if we do get back in the Premiership and the highly lucrative TV deal, which they can benefit from because our owners are uh, um, marine turbine builders uh, worth about £300 and I'm sure returning to the Premier League would do them a lot of good. We had a steady and slightly disappointed, disappointing start in terms of the way we were playing but didn't lose many games and we weren't scoring many goals. But the last week has really transformed our season. Uh, we've had two good wins at home in the league with two clean sheets. And of course, uh, earlier this week, we had a fantastic win over Leicester City at home in the Cattle One Cup last 16. Uh, lots of drama. It was a box office game. Um, some of you will know that um, 45 years ago, when I was there, the first penalty shootout in a competitive game was held at Hull's Boothbury Park in the Watney Cup semi-final when we beat Manchester United. Or rather, sorry, we lost to Manchester United. Um, but it was the first ever penalty shootout. So uh, they're always rather special for us up, up in Hull when we do have one. And I have to say, um, particularly mindful of watching the Manchester United penalties, we took five extremely good penalties in that game. So, um, overall, uh, a huge blow to be relegated, but signs that the club is picking up. Um, a lot of optimism amongst Hull City supporters, and with this recent win, they can smell Wembley again. All right, and Steve, welcome you to the show as well. Uh, obviously not the result you were looking for midweek uh, with Arsenal, but what's what's your take on both what happened in that match and what else has been going on at Arsenal lately? It was a, it's a disappointing result, obviously, in the, in the Capital One Cup or the League Cup. Um, but as I said, before we started recording, 
the the result is less of a disappointment than the injuries. I mean, obviously, a lot of Arsenal fans have been tearing their hair out about the result and the fact that we're out of the competition, um, and the fact that we lost a lower league opposition for the to the biggest margin in I don't know about a million years. Um, but um, the fact is, sometimes this happens, uh, and you just got to deal with it. And we've said on previous episodes that. Once you're out of a competition, it doesn't matter so much. Um, obviously, you can't get knocked out of the league as such. Um, but once you're out of a cup competition, then you're out and you've just got to kind of move on. It as move on. There's always next year. Um, so not an ideal result. It would have been nice to go through to the quarterfinals, but we didn't. Um, neither did a lot of the big teams, which we're kind of going to get onto later. Um, but the main concern is um, what's now going to happen in terms of the injuries. Between now and the international break in a couple of weeks' time, we've got Swansea away at the weekend, followed by our away match against Bayern Munich um, in the Champions League. And um, we've also then got the London derby to look forward to the, the weekend following, which means that for the third time this season, we've come away from a Champions League match into one of our biggest matches because we played Chelsea and Manchester United now Spurs straight after Champions League games, which I think doesn't help. Um, but um, the, the big question with Theo Walcott out, um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain out for that period of time, and Ramsey out for that period of time as well, is who's going to play on that right-hand side? I think the, the rest of the team is sort of OK. It's just it seems that all of our injuries have hit players that, although they're not necessarily naturally right-handed, right-hand-sided players. They all seem to be um, the players that Arsene Wenger wants to play there. So the debate at the moment is um, who should be playing there for this next three games. There's various suggestions about putting Hector Bellerin further up, um, possibly playing Joel Campbell, um, or possibly even Debushi there with Hector Bellerin staying up right back. Um so, I mean, it's anyone's guess, really. Or perhaps it'll be a chance. there'll be a chance there for someone to come in um, who did play on, uh, on Wednesday, or Tuesday, I should say. Um, but having said that, nobody particularly impressed. So it'll be very interesting to see how he kind of shuffles the side around. There's an argument um, or a theory being put forward that he would play someone like Flamini or Arteta in the middle and put Cthulhu out on the right-hand side. Um, however, that Cthulhu and um, Coquelin axis in the middle of the field mm. seems to have been working so well that, that I don't think he'll willingly do that. But the the doom and gloom side of me says that this next three games, it's going to be a very, very tough run of games to be missing someone who's used to playing further up. But the hopeful side of me, which usually comes out in this podcast, says, well, last year, all of our central midfield options got decimated. We had to bring Francis Coquelin back and he's been a revelation ever since. Mm. Um, so perhaps, just perhaps, um, if Joel Campbell, for instance, knows that he's going to get a chance, a run of games in the Arsenal side and he knows he's got to step up, you know, there's nowhere to hide now. He, he's, he doesn't get to sit on the bench. He doesn't get to wonder what would happen if, if Ramsey wasn't playing there or Oxley chamberlain wasn't playing there or Walcott wasn't playing there. could just be uh, Joel Campbell's opportunity to do a cockalan, uh, as we call it now. Um, so I'll keep my fingers crossed for that, but, but not a great result. 
um, during the week. Still, still doing okay in the league, but hopefully this little run of games won't damage our season overall too much uh, with this little run of injuries that we've got. Yeah, and a quick kind of lineup question. Obviously, there's been some uh, mixing about with the back line. A couple of years ago, Mertesacker and Koscielny had the best defensive partnership in the Premier League. Do you think that's still the case, or do you think Gabriel has built his way up to being one of your two best centre-backs? I think the great thing about it is that it's a debate. For a really long time, uh, as you say, that central partnership of Koscielny and Mertesacker just haven't haven't really had the the challenge even last year when when Gabriel first came in he you know he wasn't assimilated with the side English football he wasn't used to it but lately he seems to have been playing very well and at least putting his name into the hat which is uh, which is which is progress I think in terms of strength in depth I still think that on if he had the choice, Arsene Wenger would still play Koscielny and Mertesacker because they complement each other quite well uh, in terms of their strengths. Because Koscielny's got the speed um, and the tenacity to, to drop back in if they need to, but Mertesacker's reading of the game is pretty good. Um, and I think that is an area where Gabriel, for instance, lacks. So he's more similar to Koscielny. Um, than he is Mertesacker. But having said that, Gabriel is one of those. He he just seems to love defending, um, which is um, which is a rarity in today's game. So I think there's a chance that that you'll see rotation throughout the season. Now I don't think there's going to be a, a a first pairing, particularly for Mertesacker. He, keep, he seems to keep getting ill. Um, but I think in the big games, by and large, unless we're up against an extremely pacey front line. Um, I still think in the big games, by and large, you will see uh, the Murta-Shelny access in the central defensive area. Plus, I think Petacek gets on very well with uh, with Murta-Saka and they have kind of a, a mutual bond and respect, um, presumably because they're so much taller than everyone else and, and <laughs> nobody else can hear them when they talk. Else. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, I think it will still be Murta-Shelny um, by and large, but, but it's good that there's a debate there now. Yeah. All right, and Zach, after three straight draws under new manager Jurgen Klopp, finally he got his first win. I'm assuming the reaction has been positive over from the Liverpool side? Yeah, it's great to finally not draw a game 1-1. It's getting <laughs> kind of frustrating, you know, giving away leads like it's Christmas. Um, Yeah, I'm, uh, I was at the game last night, Um atmosphere to be honest wasn't great but I think we come to expect that from sort of midweek games and people have got work and tired and stuff and then also it's just the League Cup so it's not like a big Champions League night or anything like that um, it was probably the best we've played under Klopp um, it wasn't a kind of relentless pressing performance like it was for the first 25 minutes against Spurs for example in the first game but um, the, the, um, the rotation by Klopp was uh, was smart it, it it was done in the right way we had some experienced players and then like some of the best um youngsters got a game so that's um Cameron Brannigan um Jao Tejera, who's not really a youth player anymore he's he's 23 years old but he's he's only ever made one sub appearance for us so we we still like sort of he's kind of unknown to us in terms of the first team um and then Randall um got a start at right back um it was good to see that the kids came through quite well um, Origi was kind of up and down, but 
I think that's to expect it from a striker who's only of that age. It's a very difficult position to play, especially when he's playing on his own in such a demanding formation. Klopp seems to um, seems to like him, so I I think we're all mostly happy to um, to persevere with that. With Sturridge obviously being chronically injured and Benteke is obviously in and out of the treatment room, hopefully fit for some uh, for Saturday though. Um, so yeah, it was it was positive. We're uh, pretty happy just to get the win. It was I think what one of the differences was it wasn't like super nervy. Like I know Bournemouth have been quite poor of late, and like Eddie Howe said to them before the game, like let's not concede five goals for a change. That's a pretty good so start. It was yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah, they they started okay, and they only conceded one away from home, so I suppose they're quite happy. But in terms of actually being nervy, like every time the ball went into the box, we, the fans weren't sort of like on tenterhooks, if you know what I mean. Um, and that's definitely been something. That's definitely been a theme since um, since Brendan Rodgers kicked off his era because we were conceding. If we conceded one, we, the stats show that we're pretty much guaranteed to concede a second. If we concede a second, we're usually guaranteed to concede a third because these teams just uh, I don't know mentally weak. If, if that's how we want to say it, but once one goes in, it seems that they either stop caring about the conceding or they just you know, lose the heads. Um, but obviously, yeah, we, we didn't concede and um, the, the defence looks quite, quite content, to be honest. Even Lovren, although we did sort of look a bit nervy at times, he was okay. Um, cramped up towards the end, but that's to be expected. He's been out for a number of weeks. So it was good. It was just good to get, to rest the players and still get a win and get into the quarterfinals. So that this is a pretty positive week so far. Yeah, and there was a lot of question coming uh, with Klopp joining Liverpool in regards to how you deploy your players uh, with his classic formation, maybe not applying the best way to your squad. Uh, who have we been seeing on the wings, and are you impressed by how they've been playing? Um, in terms of wingers, in the league, um, we've sort of been playing. We've obviously been playing four-two-three-one with Jan and Lucas in the two, and then. Sort of a spread of um, Lalana, Coutinho, and Firmino generally in the three behind um, Origi or Benteke. Um, usually it's been Firmino in the league out wide because Lalana can't play anywhere except in the 10. So Firmino's been shunted to the right. But Firmino got um, a centre stage role yesterday and it really showed. Like he's, he was super impressive. It's definitely the best I've seen him play in Liverpool shirt despite the fact he did miss. A decent chance that he helps to create for himself with pressing from the front. Um, that was the only disappointment because it would have kept a really good display. He showed some good skills. Um, his passing was spot on. Um, he looked to to transition the attacks as quickly as possible, and he held it up when there wasn't an avenue to be quick. Um, and one of the great things about last night was Jordan Ibe finally gave one of the performances that we've that we've been waiting for since the start of the season. Um, he really, he really sort of looked devoid of confidence um, before this game, and all of a sudden, I think he just sort of decided to seize the moment. Um, I don't know if that's just a switch he can turn on his head, but he he had the he had that side completely dominated, and there was a number of times when he looked to get in behind and succeeded, and he was he was dribbling at pace and really trying to get forward. Um, so that was good. That's positive. Hopefully, he can start turning those performances into a more consistent run. Um, on the left, we've generally used Coutinho, which I don't really agree with because I think he needs to be in on the sort on the left, but in sort of central in a central area, like further back from the ten position. He's not been too great. His form has been very 
very poor for a, for a while. Um, it's just I think it's just Sturridge being out. I mean, he got to it last time Sturridge played was against Villa. Um, was it against Villa? Well, it was, that that was the last meaningful time he played anyway. When we won three two, and he got two assists in that game, and he looked so bright. And it's no secret that them two are really fond of each other, both on and off the pitch. So, in terms of that, his form could get better, but. I think it's it's to do with where he's playing and also what's ahead of him. Origi's very raw and the movements he makes are not always consistent, nor are they made at the right time. Some, and that sometimes just leads to a complete breakdown in chemistry. So it's just one of those. Um, it's early days. Um, there's a few players coming into form now. Like I said, Ibe, Firmino, uh, Joe Allen played well yesterday. So it's looking good at the moment. Uh, Tottenham, this is going to be really short because not much is happening. We have our first full week to prepare for a match since I can remember, probably a month and a half, two months, that we've had a full week to prepare before a match. Obviously resting up a lot of players. Uh, <laughs> this is your weekly. Everybody keeps saying Hyungman Sun is close, but nobody's saying he's back, uh, which, again, plantar fasciitis is no joke, and, and there's not really a quick recovery timetable for, so we'll continue to monitor that. Uh, Ryan Mason is back with the side and, and should play some factor. Uh, aside from injury stuff, the only thing that's really happened is two of the youngsters signed long-term contracts, uh, both keeper Luke McGee and Cameron Carter-Vickers, who might end up being American <laughs> in terms of uh, who, who he decides to play for internationally. Uh, but another couple of teenagers signing long-term with the club seems to fit our, our long-term goal and seems to be how we plan on riding out the kind of financial uh, barren age that will come with the, the stadium development. So, all good news there. But yeah, like I said, not really much else going on other than watching the, the Arsenal result and just being glad it wasn't us. <laughs> so, all in all, that loss. <laughs> now not looking so bad when you consider that us sacrificing our best 11 in that match is what led to us upending Manchester City that following weekend. If we'd been knocked out at this stage anyway and had lost that match, I think fans would be a lot less pleased than they thought they would be when we initially lost to Arsenal that uh, North London derby in the Capital One Cup, which is a super smooth segue into the topic, which is more talking about the Capital One Cup. I know we've each already done it thus far, but obviously a lot of upsets. Peter already mentioned the, the penalties going on there, which uh, also saw Manchester United and Chelsea out of the tournament. Steve already mentioned Arsenal bouncing out without the need of penalties. What do you think has been the cause of so many of these big upsets? Uh, and do you think it's a good thing that we're seeing other teams make it this far in the tournament? Or are you hoping that the big teams keep making it through? Yeah, I would say, first of all, that you know the Capital One Cup, uh, even in the days when it was the League Cup, has never been a number one priority for a lot of uh, clubs, particularly the large clubs. And more recently, I think it's a case of, well, you know, let's use it for a bit of experimentation. Let's try some youngsters. Let's rest some players. And if we find ourselves in the last eight or 16, then maybe treat it a bit more seriously. And I think that's the overall approach from a lot of the larger clubs, a lot of the Premier League clubs. Now, as delighted as I was that we beat Leicester City, I think Leicester City's priorities probably lie elsewhere. They didn't play a full-strength side. Uh, Vardy came on late late in the day, but uh, many of their best-known players were, were missing. Now, um, I don't know whether or not 
Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal. I I didn't sort of study the team sheets, but it's usually the case that it is sort of a chance to play squad players. And yeah, they were shocks, but somehow I don't think it's as big a shock as in days gone by or when things happen in the FA Cup. It's just not quite... Yeah, it is still a shock, but it isn't like a huge big deal. And it was just a little bit surprising that some of the championship sides played as well as they did. I mean, I don't think Arsenal were as motivated as they could have been and obviously got a couple of key injuries. But Sheffield Wednesday played extremely well. And I think they were you know, they were motivated by a very large crowd, which... They've not had for many a year. Uh, we were, we were, th- I think, were totally unpressurised. We've beaten Swansea and Leicester City in the the Capital One Cup already this season, and I think there was pressure off. It was a chance for squad players to show that they're good enough, and we have a decent shot uh, squad. So yeah, I was desperately pleased to win, but I didn't really see it as a giant killing as such. I think Chelsea have wider issues at the moment. And I think probably the biggest surprise was Manchester United to lose in that manner, to, you know, to fail to score and to look so ordinary. So that perhaps does point to sides taking it less seriously. But I think it's a, it, it is a curious approach. It's almost like a suck it and see situation where you play in the Capital One Cup and it's sort of like a, a poor man's FA Cup, but it's maybe third or fourth priority in terms of competition. And then, OK, if you get knocked out, you, you're very disappointed, but it's not the end of the world. And it's only when perhaps you build up a bit of a momentum and the side that actually plays in the cup knits together that you actually say, perhaps, yeah, we can win this. I don't think there are many Premier League sides who earmark the Capital One Cup at the start of the season and say, well, some of the bigger clubs won't be as motivated for this. Let's really try and win this. I think it is almost a random thing and take it as it comes. I don't think the bigger sides actually say it's not a priority. We're not interested. Who cares? It's just a fairly unpredictable run. But that's not taking anything away from championship clubs and on occasions, League One clubs that do achieve giant killing. You know, I, I think it's still a, a feather in your cap if, if you do beat them like we've done. But I don't think you should get out get it out of uh, proportion because there are a lot of complicated factors. We had a tremendous night. We were a little bit unlucky. Uh, a ball crossed the line and a goal should probably have been given. Should have had a penalty and the guy was booked. It was uh, our friend, uh, Mr Atwell, who... Uh, uh, has previous on this, and uh, we we had a touch of bad luck, and then perhaps a, l- a little bit of fortune with uh, a couple of other breaks. But you know, tremendous to win, but I wouldn't get it out of proportion. And I don't think I don't think fans of Arsenal and Manchester United are going to be heartbroken or shocked, just a little surprised and frustrated because it is a trophy at the end of the day. But I think perhaps what the cup competitions more generally do provide is obviously a source of income for some of the smaller clubs and a chance to sort of increase the profile of their club a little bit. So for a club like ourselves who have been relegated, we've been a little bit in the doldrums, uh, as you are, 
there's a sort of hangover from relegation, even though we've started in the league very well, or reasonably well, you know, we're, we're second. So in terms of getting the fans back on board and reinvigorating the fans, for whatever reason, I think progress in the Capital One Cup is really important. It provides an opportunity, which perhaps is, you know, there may be different motivations at different clubs, but particularly for championship clubs, it provides a real opportunity to to use it to either test players, you know, get a bit more money in, get the crowd on board, play a different formation, um, you know, bring a few players who've been out with injury for a while back into a side. So the pattern, to some extent, is similar, you know, with, with both the Premier League and the Championship. We didn't play our full-strength side, Hull City, and I'm sure it's the same for a lot of Championship sides as well. So it's a slightly curious competition, and I don't read too much into the, the shock results, if we can call them that. I think they'll continue to happen in the competition for the reasons that I've given uh, I think it'll always be the case that there will be shocks because it is third or fourth priority for a lot of clubs. Yeah, Steve, would you agree with that? Uh, I know you mentioned in the open that you weren't particularly heartbroken. Sounds like Peter kind of hit that nail on the head. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the phrase you used, I think, Peter, um, was huh? wouldn't be heartbroken, but might be surprised or frustrated. Um, I wouldn't yeah, say I was frustrated. Like yeah, um, I wouldn't even say I was frustrated by it. Um, it was an experiment and it didn't work. A bit surprised, um, but like you say, these uh, the the teams that play in League One and the Championship, they they do raise their games because it's for some of the players, um, not to be patronising, but for some of the players, it's the only chance they'll get to play against Arsenal, um, even if it's not their first team. So, um, whereas for Arsenal, like you say, it's the um, it's not the the highest of priorities. So in terms of what, what causes it, again, I, I, there's not much I can do to expand on what Peter said other than and, than look at it from Arsenal's point of view because it is caused, the, the surprises are caused by the rotation. So in Arsenal's case, uh, our good form in the league, and I'll win over um, Borussia, Borussia Dortmund, Bayern Munich, um, seems like such a long time ago already, uh, that, that was based on a solid team and a real cohesion between that first team um, and a real understanding building up between those players. In this team, there were one or two of those first teamers present, um, arguably, and then three or four second choice players, so people like Debushi and Gibbs, um, and then the rest was all youngsters. Um, who have never played at this level, you know, there was a lot made of the fact that it was a way, there were 30,000 passionate supporters there who really wanted their team to win. Um, and it's a lot to ask uh, of, of the youngsters and, and they, they didn't come up to scratch as was indicated by um, Arsene Wenger's unusual, uh, unusually honest and possibly slightly harsh post-match interview but I think the shocks are caused by rotation purely because um, when you take away a team's first 11 and you throw 11 people who aren't necessarily used to playing together week in week out together anything can happen it comes more of a lottery um, in terms of whether it's good for the cup it is in a way because it's great stories I mean I'm an Arsenal fan but I can see from the point of view of of people who want to see the underdog, uh, underdogs go through. And I can see from the point of view of other other um, 
other fans as well that it's quite funny when a big team goes out to a small team because I know that I enjoy it even on the same night. I, I can't say that I was too sorry to hear that Chelsea went out, for instance, or or too sorry to hear about Manchester United. Um, because it's And I know that there are people out there who will be looking at Arsenal and going, well, that was an awful result and having their own... Uh, that, having their own laugh at that because that's just the reality of being a football fan. So in a way, yeah, it is good for the cup because it, it it raises the profile of the cup itself, raises the profile of the competition. Um, good stories for the media, something to talk about, um, as evidenced by this very podcast. But the only problem with it is, and you kind of saw it happen last year in the FA Cup as well, that if only one or two big teams make it through to the quarterfinals, um, then it does somewhat remove the tension going forward. So with no Manchester United, Chelsea or Arsenal to challenge the likes of Manchester City and, and Liverpool, for instance, then it, there's a little less tension going yeah. forward. We saw that a little upset. bit last year with, with Tottenham and Chelsea both going into the semi-finals and pretty much already knowing the final matchup. Yeah, absolutely. So unless the upsets continue which doesn't usually happen because although rotation happens in the earlier rounds, I think once you get to the quarterfinals and semifinals, you'll start seeing stronger teams then because then it's a real chance for uh, silverware. Um, it, but, yeah, it, there's an argument to say it's good for the cup, but I, I, I just hope that, um, that it doesn't make the later rounds stale for the people who are in them. Um, so that's the only, the only drawback, I guess. Yeah, we were kind of talking about the Premier League teams there, and Zach, if I'm not mistaken, you have Southampton up next. Are, are you still glad to be in this competition, or, uh, or are you also in the mindset that you wouldn't be too upset had you been bounced? No, I, I'm one of those, I'm probably an unrealistic fan in, in the way that I want my team to perform in all four competitions, if you're in Europe, and all three, if you're not. Um if we'd have lost last night, especially being at the game, I'd have been really disappointed. It's just, especially being a Liverpool fan, it's sort of different because, like, media, mainstream media, and also, like, Twitter, for example, there, there doesn't need to be much of an excuse to bash Liverpool. Like, let's be honest. And it is, you do get <laughs> sick of it. So, when, when, you, when you get a Capital One Cup tie against a team that's lower than you in your division or lower than you in the... In the tables of English football, if you if you don't win, you know what's coming. So I I I I wanted us to win, and I would have been pretty annoyed if we'd lost. I also I also value the Carlin Cup. I've been saying it for years, and Dan Fitzpatrick will back me up on this because I always say it to him. Um, he's one of the Arsenal contributors to this pod. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, um, he, I've been saying for years that the League Cup is far more entertaining than the than the FA Cup. I mean, the FA Cup there's hardly an upset in it anymore it seems and the kindly cut through us and up every round I, I i enjoy the league cup and i know it's probably because of the reasons that these guys have just been saying um rotated squads um obviously the big teams are in europe so they need to change it up um stuff like that but for entertainment value i think it's priceless and, and the fa cup having like the replay system rather than the F, the the extra time and penalties system after one game that's sort of equally frustrating in the, because I think it dilutes the tension and tension is one of the themes we've just brought up earlier so I, if we'd have lost I'd have been really annoyed and I am, I'm glad that we've got um, another title forward to uh, against Southampton that'll be a good game it'll be a tough game but I'm glad we're still in it and definitely even from the first round I hope I always think League Cup let's try and win it like it's just one of those things it's not it's, it it can build it can it can build a sort of mentality like you see Arsenal they won the FA Cup 
after 10 years of not winning a trophy or whatever it was, and then all of a sudden they've won the FA Cup again and the Charity Shield. You know, I know there's a bit of a curse sort of thing or an idea that there's a curse whereby if you win the League Cup, you get relegated or you end up finishing eighth like we did under Dalgleish, but it doesn't have to be like that. It's just, I think that's just a poor mentality, sort of a lazy mentality. So, yeah, I'm, I I hope we beat Southampton. Um and I hope the final is like us versus City or, you know, I thought I hope there's an exciting end to it and hopefully we can be successful. Yeah, I was pretty surprised from a Tottenham perspective by a poll that was recently done by one of the bigger uh, Tottenham sites, which was, would you rather be in the top four or win a trophy this year? And most people went top four, which I was pretty surprised by. Obviously, Tottenham have a lot of cup glory in, in their history. Uh, not a great track record of making the Champions League. I don't know if it's because people want that more, or if it's because it's the least likely of the two, the less likely of the two. So people are naturally shifting towards that. But if you look at the teams that have crashed out, you kind of, as as a quote-unquote big team, are looking at it like, oh, maybe we should have played our full 11 versus Arsenal then. But as I mentioned at the top of the show... You know, that could have meant we were just another one of the teams that get bounced out at this stage. I would have, I would like to have continued to be in it. I know I talked about how nice it was that we finally had a full week to prepare. But that's for the club. That's for the players. That's for the manager. As a supporter, I would have loved to see Tottenham midweek again. You kind of catch yourself, and I know this happens in international breaks as well, where you just kind of end up missing uh, getting to watch your team. And yes, it was fun watching all the penalty shootouts. It was very exciting. Uh, but I definitely still wish we were in this competition as we have slowly found out that we have a lot more depth than we thought we did, uh, which maybe some people have forgotten since the beginning of the season. Uh, In terms of having kind of the quote-unquote smaller clubs have this level of success, uh, yeah, I think part of it is that, you know, teams take it a little less seriously, but Manchester City put out a very strong side, Um, much to the chagrin of many a fantasy owner. United played a pretty strong side, um, I think Liverpool mixed pretty well. I think Arsenal tried to mix pretty well, and it just ended up kind of backfiring a little bit. But as a neutral, I and we kind of talked about this last week. I love watching teams that you're, are going in and kind of in the underdog status. Uh, love rooting for them. Had a great time doing so again this week. Uh, so yeah, I, I absolutely love the competition. I think it's much worse financially. Uh, that it's not the big clubs, but that's not my money, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think it gives it a lot more intrigue. I do understand Steve's point that if it kind of ends up being two big clubs and two smaller clubs heading into the semis, then it's kind of predestined what's going to happen. Uh, I'm not sure Zach wants to play Manchester City in the final as much as he thinks he does, uh, only because that's what I thought last year about facing Chelsea in the final. And then got beat 2-0, which made it a lot worse, uh, obviously, against the London rival. So, I I do. I genuinely love this competition. I think it was probably our second best chance at a trophy this season. Uh, well, probably our first, considering how much we've been struggling in Europa League, uh, despite that really being where our focus is. But, yeah, so, to sum it up, wish Tottenham was still in it. Love that, that a lot of the bigger teams are being upset. Uh, despite the potential ramifications further on in the competition. And like I would love to see a whole make it through and then actually beat Arsenal in the Cup this time. That would be great. 
Um, so, yeah, all in all, definitely a fan of the competition and think it's a good thing that we have this kind of diversity this late in the tournament. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. All right, and from there, we will go on to Player Watch, where we're each going to discuss a player that impressed and disappointed in our Capital One Cup fixtures, except for me, because, again, we weren't in it at all. Uh, and if there is a player that you, if there isn't a player that you want to say was disappointing for you, how about a player from the opposition that you think performed well? We'll start off with Peter. Yeah, okay. I'll start off with a player that disappointed. It's it's a bit harsh probably because obviously we we've had two straight wins at home in the league and then a fantastic performance in the Capital One Cup. But um, I have to return to the much maligned Tom Huddleston. And the reason I, I pick him out as one who isn't playing too well is that you can see this enormous ability there. When he doesn't play, we miss his passing, but it's just he it's as if he's half a second too slow at the moment. And he <laughs> I just think he might up literally be half a second too slow. Because <laughs> um, it's like he moving has an so oil tank. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, he's got all the mobility of a wardrobe, is the classic expression, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, and, and you can see the talent there. But I think the reason I've singled him out is that I think it's a really important stage of his career. You know, he, he's taken a, a drop down to us and, you know, OK, we got promoted and we got him in the in the Premier League. But as a player, I feel, you know, the years are ticking by and I think he had high expectations of himself and others of him. And at the moment, he's in danger of becoming a run-of-the-mill midfield player for a good championship side. And that's in, 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 that's in no way having a go at my own side. He's not looking special anymore. And I think, it, you know, I look back to a time, it wasn't long ago, he, was, he felt aggrieved that he wasn't getting picked in England squads. Yeah. So one of the reasons I'd he like left Tottenham to see, is because he wanted more playing time. Ab- absolutely, yeah. And I mean, he did have a, him and Livermore did have a very good first season with us. But I think the reason I pick him out is that he's he's stagnating a little bit, and that's not because he plays for unfashionable Hull City. I think it's because as a player, perhaps he he lacks a bit of motivation. So he's the sort of player that it'll be good to get a cup run. It'll be good for him to play at Manchester City in the not in the next round in a in a high profile game because perhaps he needs the the big match atmosphere i don't know but you know he is turning into a disappointment in terms of goals because there's still an awful lot of ability there 
So uh, I'm just really highlighting the fact that he's at a he's at a crossroads, to use the cliche, in his career. And I'd like to see him just pick up a little bit because he's not far off being a very good player, but he's in danger of sinking the other way if he doesn't get a few goals soon and start to pick up his game. Now, in contrast, we have a player, uh, David Myler, who, uh, Republic of Ireland international, who probably has, fair to say, you know, great athleticism, but modest natural ability by Premier League standards, certainly. But he scored some spectacular goals for us. Uh, came on in, in uh, midweek against Leicester as sub. And overall in cup competitions, Excuse me. As well as in the league, he's been a tremendously consistent player. He's one of those who, when you are involved in cup shocks, is the sort of player who you know will give his all. And you know when you need to defend, and your backs are against the wall, he, you know he'll be there diving in and committed. A true professional. And you know be, uh, the whole crowd likes somebody like that because for you know we haven't had that many top class players over the years. Uh, um, and so that's why it's nice to have Mitch, Mr. Abel Hernandez at the moment. But overall, Myler has slowly but surely become a firm favourite with the whole city fans. So I'd really like to highlight him. And again, just returning to our midfield, we have a huge number of midfield players, desperately short of strikers. We've only got um, Akpom on loan from Arsenal who's impressed a great deal and, and looks very good. We've got Hernandez, of course, who's doing very well now at championship level, and a young lad, Greg Lua. But apart from that, we have only three strikers. Uh, but we have a huge number of midfield options. Uh, and my point is that within that midfield, Huddleston is no longer special. He's just another player. We know we've got Myler. We've got Sean Maloney, who's a Scottish international decent player. You know, we've got Diarmi, ex-West Ham, decent player. So, you know, Livermore returned. Huddleston is no longer the star man. And I just wonder if that's affecting his motivation. And I'd like him to stay. But if he did move, it wouldn't be a surprise to him, to me. It, it is perhaps a, a situation where he may need a move. And I'd just like to say a big shout out for David Myler for impressing not just in the recent cup game but overall in cup competitions uh, over the last couple of years and in the league and being 100% committed to the cause. All right and Steve who impressed and disappointed for for Arsenal? Um, well this is going to be very quick. Um, in terms <laughs> of who impressed uh, it was nobody uh, so I'm glad you said that as you were um, uh, as you were leading into this segment uh, about someone who impressed for the other team. Uh, so I'm going to go for Ross Wallace. Uh, the, he opened the scoring. It was a great finish. Um, and just overall, he was a nuisance throughout the whole match. So um, so fair play to Ross Wallace. Uh, in terms of who disappointed, you know, how you, you know how when your team play well and everybody always comes on here and says, oh, it's so tough to pick out a, um, an individual. Yep. Yep. Um, this is the exact opposite of that. Um, literally, everybody was awful. The, the I, I, if if I was going to pick someone out, it would have to be Matteo Debushi, purely because he has been so vote like. There's a lot of competition in that Arsenal squad, and people have been getting their head down and working hard, um, keeping quiet, keeping their mouths shut, and trying to get on with it. 
uh, and Mata Debushi, with half an eye granted on the Euros coming up next summer, um, he has been bemoaning his lack of first-team football because Hector Bellerin has been incredible. Um, so, OK, he had some bad luck last year after he did his ankle early in the season and was out for three months and then he came back and was needlessly shoved into an advertising hoarding which dislocated his shoulder by Arnautovic at Stoke. Um, so he has been unlucky, but he's been moaning about not being in the team and he was in the team last night. And he was off. We didn't get out of our half, I don't think, until the last quarter of the game, by which time it was all too late. And Sheffield Wednesday were just soaking up everything that we threw forward at them. So, yeah, I think um, the whole team disappointed. Nobody impressed. And if there was someone who had to pick out, uh, in particular, it would be Matteo Debushi, because he's not going to put aside or push aside Hector Bellerin if he plays like that. Yeah, and Zach, uh, for Liverpool, who were you impressed and disappointed with? Um, if I was to say, I'll go with disappointed first. Disappointed with the the atmosphere at the ground. Um, I know that's a weird thing to say because we're looking at players, but uh, the, the atmosphere at the Anfield has been a bit of a subject of late, and it's getting pretty frustrating, to be honest. Um very rarely do you hear any kind of loud sound. It's usually when we score a goal, and that's obviously that's a standard procedure thing. Um, it's getting, it's I don't know. It's just um, it's just not the same, and it feels weird being in the stadium. Um, well, if that's, I, I will name it this point. Play Origi. Obviously, patience is key, but it's like he doesn't make a run and then he makes the run, and because he didn't make it for the last three times, the player who's trying to thread him in doesn't read it, do you know what I mean? So it's kind of frustrating um, that he's that he's like so raw at the moment, but there's not much he can do, really. Um, well, played well. Um, Firmino, definitely, that's the best I've seen him play. Um, I hadn't seen him much at Hoffenheim. I only watched, like, I don't know, like three or four games. So um, that's the best I've seen him play in a red shirt, definitely. I was super impressed. Some of the touches he showed were absolutely mesmeric. He he nutmegged one guy and it was just outrageous on the edge of the uh, edge of the Bournemouth box. It was awesome. Hopefully he can take that forward. Um, who else played? I played really well. I was really impressed by Joe Allen. Um, Tajera took his chance. Um, uh, the young players were super impressive. Brannigan showed a, a bright. Um, a bright and calm head. Uh, Randall grew into the game. He had a very timid start. Lost quite a few aerial duels, but when he saw it, when he settled in, he seemed to um, he seemed to like grow into the game. And he was definitely like one of the standout players in the second half. Definitely, no no uh, no no debates there. Yeah, and as I mentioned, no Tottenham players played at all. But uh, I'll just go off of <laughs> what's usually happening, which is I'm sure Ericsson would have been impressive, uh, and uh, I'm sure I would have blamed Bandros Townsend for being wasteful with the ball. So there's your uh, commentary on a match that never took place. All right, and with that, we uh, head into match previews, where we're just going to quickly discuss our team's upcoming fixture and how we think we will fare. Uh, I guess we'll start with you, Peter, and your upcoming match against MK Dons. Yes, so it's a trip to MK Dons on on Saturday, which uh, perhaps isn't the most glamorous fixture. We've only been there, I think, once in our history in the league. And uh, earned a 1-1 draw there uh, with a goal from a chap called Delroy Facey, who uh, I think was involved in some of the 
um, match, match fixing and may even be in prison at the moment. So a uh, little bit of history there for you. But um, yeah, it's it's a strange one because we'll be taking two and a half, three thousand fans down to MK Dons, I would think. And, you know, everyone's expectations are suddenly very high. We're second in the championship. Uh, we've got a tremendous defensive record. We're through to the quarterfinals of the Capital One Cup. Uh, we're drawn against Manchester City, high-profile game. So suddenly there's a real buzz amongst the Holsty fans. But what goes with that is a greater expectation. And I think the danger is that fans think that we'll just pop down to their stadium and uh, play them off the park, win 3-0 and move on. So <clears throat> I think we have to guard against complacency. There will be some some team changes. The formation is always interesting. I would imagine Alan McGregor will return in goal. But uh, in terms of the midfield, the, there's always a rotation in the midfield. And it may be that uh, Tom Huddleston, who I mentioned earlier, may not play. Uh, we have the, the likes of Sean Maloney, Myler, uh, Diarmi, Livermore, Huddleston. Quite a lot to choose from. I imagine that um, Ahmed El Mahamedi has been linked with a lot of Premier League clubs in terms of a January move, he will return. And he perhaps hasn't been playing his best football this season and does look slightly unsettled. But I would imagine he'll play against MK Dons. And uh, his pace and crossing ability are very important to the side when he's at his best. But whereas a few games ago, I think he'd have been one of the first names on the team sheet, he may no longer be like that because a lot of players have been given their chances and, and, and taken them. So there's a certain element of uncertainty about the, the team sheet for Saturday. One of the interesting things will be who we play up front. I've explained earlier that we have very limited options up front. Uh, Steve Bruce's size, sides are fairly notorious for not being overly attacking. Uh, his sides are built on defence. And we do have just the three strikers. But I, I would hope to see Akpom starting with... Abel Hernandez, and I hope we'll go there with a a slightly more offensive formation than we might normally, given our our recent success. But knowing Steve Bruce, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start the game at least with one striker, Hernandez, pack the midfield, uh, keep it tight, try and wear them down, and uh, play the usual tactic of, of trying to nick a goal and and crush their morale and then try and score a few more if opportunities arrive. But I don't think that suddenly after our recent success, we'll we'll go there and, and look to play fast-flowing football and be all-out attack. I think we'll treat MK Dons with the respect they deserve. And uh, it's by no means a foregone conclusion that we'll get points there. And I think there is a danger that we, we are a little complacent and we, you know, we are still full of the euphoria that's gone with the last few days. I think we've just got to, you know, really um, uh, concentrate on the, the simple things, get back to the hard work and, and get back to the hard slog that is the championship with a lot of Saturday, Tuesday type setups and, um, you know, more games than we, we've been used to in the Premier League, even though we did have a brief flirtation with Europe last season. So, yeah, really looking forward to the game. Uh, I think it'll be, as I say, a, a great following from Hull City, but... Uh, you know, I wouldn't give a positive vote for a win. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be optimistic that we'd get at least a point. But uh, very important that we, we sort of forget about the cup for the moment, concentrate on the championship and really make sure that 
whilst perhaps not staying in the top two, we just need to hang around in that top four or five and make sure that come February, March time, we're in a position to launch a really good run to either get automatic promotion or ensure a place in the playoffs. But uh, yeah, just slight, a slight fear of complacency, but uh, reasonably optimistic. All right, and Zach, your next trip is to Stamford Bridge. Obviously, this not the title-winning Chelsea that we remember from last season. Are you confident heading into this one? Um, I won't say I was confident. I was. Um, I'm not confident in the win. I'm definitely confident in, a, a, you know, giving them a game. I think playing away from home definitely suits Klopp's game a lot more than playing at home. So Anfield even under Rodgers, it had become quite a shackle for the players. Um, the demand to impress and the fans sort of groaning every time a pass went out, um, that kind of weighed on the players. But also now that Klopp's come in, his, his sort of like pressing game and counter-pressing and then counter-attacking style is, is more effective if the other team is, is drawn out more. Um, so far... We've we've played Ruben Kazan, um, Southampton, and Bournemouth last night, and all all these teams have sat back, giving us like sixty percent possession, and it's difficult to convert that into something when Coutinho's not on his game, and we don't have a player completely willing to go off the shoulder. I mean, the goal last night that came from Tajera cutting in from the left and making a, a diagonal run off the shoulder, and it sort of. It just opened it up for a little dinky through ball from Firmino. Um, that that's sort of the way to attack when the other team is deep. But Klopp is all about counter attacking into space and getting the 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 front four running at goal and their opposition defence backing up. So um, if we can sort of get that kind of game going and us ourselves sit a little deeper and then look to counter, I, I would be optimistic of at least getting a result especially with Chelsea's form which is it's un, unparalleled for them I've never seen anything like this from a Chelsea side this it literally is the spitting image of of Liverpool last season it, it, they remind me so much of of our, of our team from last season just a, a result a bad result or some bad news coming in every few days and it just seems like a hangover from last season I'm not sure what could cause that after winning the league but you would think that they were very confident um I am co- I am confident of a performance not so much confident of a win um but you you know with the form you, you just you just never know so hopefully we just see some more progress in terms of understanding what the manager wants and some more gelling of the team into this four two three one um hopefully the informed players such as Firmino, Ibe, um, Lucas all continue this uh, this form hopefully Coutinho can lift himself a little bit um, and just hopefully keep another clean sheet to be honest um, we've, we've kept two clean sheets so far and then the other two games we, we conceded just the one so if we're not scoring many the first thing to do I suppose is to keep a clean sheet so and we seem more capable of doing that under Klopp so hopefully um, we keep the clean sheet. There's more signs of progression in terms of understanding the uh, the demands of the manager. And yeah, let's just see. Let's just perform and see where we can go because we can certainly win there. All right. And Steve, you're going to travel to Swansea, who had been struggling lately. Got a nice reset last week against Aston Villa. Obviously, not the performance you wanted midweek. Are you thinking you'll bounce back in this one? 
hopefully, um, of course. Um, and if it weren't for the injuries that we suffered in the Capital One Cup, uh, and the fact that that means we are going to have to field this slightly changed forward line, um, then I'd be more confident. Um, as much as Swansea did get their win last week, they haven't been in great form, and a win over Aston, I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure if I pulled on a football shirt and ran around a bit, I could beat Aston Villa at the moment. So, um, yeah, I, th- I just think that um, it, time will tell whether Swansea... Uh, Swansea are a good side and they've got a good manager. Um, but on form in the league, Arsenal should win this game, um, depending on who does feel in on that right-hand side. Other than that, based on all of the people who played the other day, I think the first 11 picks itself. Um, with the possible exception, as I was saying before, of Mertesacker keeping his place, but I think he'll, he'll obviously play better with the better players around him uh, if Gabriel doesn't come back in. Um, the only thing that worries me is I think I think I'm right in saying that Swansea did us twice two one last year. Um, so if there is such a thing as a bogey team, Swansea are one of ours. Um, uh, although you could flip that and say that Arsenal are due a win against a side who, on paper, they are stronger than, um, and can lightning strike three times? You don't know. So, so yeah, I am. I'm relatively confident going into this, but at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me uh, if we drop points. Yeah, and I kind of mentioned Aston Villa right now, uh, and and Steve as well with his upcoming 1-0 defeat of Aston Villa on his own. Uh, yeah, so if Steve could do it, you imagine <laughs> that Tottenham could do it. Uh, I know I mentioned uh, on the FPL roundtable yesterday, you know, this this Aston Villa side revived the fantasy seasons of both Andre Ayew and Gilfie Sigurdsson from their own fantasy graves. What do you think Christian Eriksen's going to do while he's riding a hot hand of form? Uh, I, the, especially without a manager. I mean, you would imagine that anyone but Tim Sherwood realizes they should play Jordan Amavi, uh, but that pretty much takes Eric Lamela out of the match if he performs as he can, which just means Erickson's going to have even more of the ball to do what he does. Uh, Kane obviously found his scoring boots last week. You'd hope that that would uh, continue in this one. I, in all honesty, everybody last week, I think I said this yesterday as well, Last week, everybody was saying Tottenham had to win by, like, two. You know, considering this Bournemouth side had just been so thoroughly obliterated by Manchester City the week before. And I think this is the same situation, despite the lack of, kind of, urgency from fans. I think we need to win this one by at least one or two goals to really feel good about ourselves heading into, obviously, a very tough Arsenal match. Um, I'm very confident in it. You're hearing all the players saying all the right things right now especially in regards to uh, Pochettino, who was uh, rightfully quite harsh on them after the Anderlecht loss. Obviously bounced back well at the weekend. You'd like to see that continue so that it becomes more of a trend instead of kind of a one-off against a team obviously hurting in Bournemouth. Uh, So yeah, hoping for the best. I'd expect probably something like a 3-1 result. I know our defense has been getting much better, but we are still prone to the rare lapse in judgment. Uh, especially on the wings. Danny Rose last week, it's usually Kyle Walker doing it. Um, so hopefully hopefully we'll be able to win by a couple goals and, and really put this uh, kind of negative mindset that we felt we were slipping into to bed uh, with, with, again, all the players kind of sounding quite confident and Poch also being quite pleased with how we've been performing lately. All right, and with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or if you want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. 
Okay, yeah, thank you, Kevin. Yes, um, I'm Peter Johnson. I'm editor of TigerLink, which is a whole city social media group. We're at www.tigerlink.co.uk on social media, also on Twitter and Facebook. Um, Only project to mention very quickly is that we're trying to still get funding for a statue to Ebenezer Cobb Morley, the founder of modern day football, former and first, I think, secretary of the FA. We're trying to raise money for a statue to him outside the KC Stadium because uh, he was Holborn, and this fits in very tidily with our city of culture status in 2017. And I uh, just wanted to mention that because we're very anxious to get back in the Premier League because we would love to be in the Premier League for 2017 when we have that city of culture status. It would be great for sport in the city. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, thank you very much for listening. I've been Steve, the resident Arsenal fan, um, as in the less good one when Dan Fitzpatrick isn't available. Uh, you can reach me at Find Pub Sport on Twitter um, or visit findpubsport.com for local live sport venues uh, if you fancy a pint alongside your live sport. And you could also, um, literally just after um, just after this uh, podcast goes up, if you enjoy a podcast, which if you listening this long into it you clearly do um you uh, should check out find at fine pub sport and you'll find a link to our podcast um which in which we give out awards each week based on the sports stories of the week that's going up pretty much straight after this podcast is recorded on thursday night so it'll be up by the time you're listening to this hi guys thanks for listening um as usual if you'd like to find me on Twitter, my username is at ZachForster underscore AI. Um, you'll find mostly Liverpool, but also Premier League views and FPL views and stuff like that over there. Um, myself and Nick Truss, who I think frequented this pod before, you may know it. Um, we're running a FPL-based Twitter account called at AI Fantasy Football. Um when when we're available, we sort of live tweet um, the FPL comings and goings on a Saturday um, with the three o'clock kickoffs and usually the midday and five o'clock as well. Uh, obviously, it depends on availability, but I'm off on Saturday, so I should be doing something. Um, it, you know, it's just goals, assists, bookings, own goals and stuff like that. So it's just sort of keeping you up to date as, as stuff goes in. Um, yeah, that's it really. Once again, thanks for listening and uh, see you again soon. Yeah, and I am your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. Uh, If you want to find my fantasy ratings, you can do so at theeaglesbeak.com. We'll have another article up probably by the time you're listening to this. Uh, The Play Tauga stuff has changed a little bit. There are no longer uh, any full-length articles. Now they're going to be divided up into player updates on each individual player. So if you you, (laughs) if you click or pick a player uh, card, then you'll be able to see... Uh, an update on each of them over there. So if you're playing over on playtaga.com, you can do that. If you aren't, you should be. Uh, it's a really good draft-style game uh, that offers kind of a counter to the official.com game. Uh, other than that, host of the FPL Roundtable, which goes up on Thursday mornings. And with that, we'd like to thank you guys so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Mm-hmm.